The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Can I pause for a minute and pray? Uh, Thank you, Lord God, so much for this uh, beautiful day and just the incredible opportunity we have to enjoy each other and enjoy life. And and, and God, I just ask you to uh, meet us in this moment. And I know that um, we're here from so many places. Some people feel so close to you and uh, who you are is, is an undeniable reality in their life. And, and there are others who are just trying to figure out even if you exist and are just trying to make it through the day. And so I ask you to do what only you can do to meet us at our point of need, to speak to us where we are. And, and God, take us from where we are today to uh, where we cannot go without you. And as we begin this uh, journey into practical wisdom, we are so grateful that our lives matter to you, that the stuff of life is important to you. And so we come, God, just opening up our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do live around the corner, walking distance from here, and uh, it's kind of funny, every Sunday morning I drive to Pasadena and then to Beverly Hills, and, and, uh, and so we're driving across the city, but rarely um, are we just down the street, and so grateful for Octavio and and Lilia, and how they have just loved um, Whittier and loved the community and uh, have invested their lives in, in just uh, serving people and being kind and gracious. And, and really, this time together is just a reflection of their years and years and years of, of being a part of the community and just um, caring about people. And, and I think that's the best way to kind of create a spiritual community. I mean, a lot of people go, well, you know, maybe we should do church, and, uh, and I think it's the opposite way for um, Octavia and Lilia. They're just trying to do life, and out of um, sharing life with one another, uh, a time has come together like this. Uh, we're beginning this um, series, Octavia was um, informing me, called Practical Wisdom, and uh, we've, we've been doing that uh, across the city for the past few weeks, and it's been a lot of fun, you know, because sometimes, you know, all the language of spirituality, it, it can be inspiring, but not really very helpful. Have you ever noticed that? That, you, know, you, you can maybe go to church on Sunday or, or go to temple or synagogue or, or maybe go hear an inspirational speaker and you're wired for that moment and you're ready to change the world. And, and then a half an hour later, you're facing real life again. And you're going, oh, that's right. This is why I was so discouraged. And, and you know, the, the whole idea of inspiration means that someone breathes into you. That's what the word inspired means. And, but when you inhale, there's one thing that has to happen eventually. Everybody inhale if you're not sure what that is. Okay, and then as soon as you get it, you'll know. Because eventually you have to exhale. And I think that's the practicality of life, is that no, no matter how inspiring a moment may be, no matter how uh, helpful some insight or truth may be, that, that there has to be this rhythm in life where you're, you're receiving and gaining and growing, but, but then you have to exhale. And that exhaling in terms of wisdom is application. It's actually just doing something with the insight you have. I wonder how many of us have so much information that we don't really need one more bit of information. We need maybe a little bit of courage to actually act on the information we know. And I wonder how many of us really just need to move into the arena of, of application. So I want to tell you, take you to one of my favorite passages in the scriptures, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I love the book of Ecclesiastes because I love Solomon. Because I really resonate with, with Solomon. Because Solomon really seemed to have more questions than he had answers. And I, I, how many of you have more questions than you have answers? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's some people who seem to have answers for everything. 
And no, I, don't, I was going to say I admire them, but not really. I'm kind of suspicious. And I, when a person seems to have an answer for everything, I really wonder if they're just hiding their doubt and uncertainty. I really admire the people who just continuously have questions and keep searching and remain curious and remain open and, and growing. And there's this place in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And by the way, I borrowed this from the back. And if you're here and uh, you're on a spiritual journey, Octavius told me these are free. He said if you're a Christian, they're not free for you. And, uh, and so that, that's a good thing. And, but if you're here and you're, you're, you're searching for God and, and would love to have a Bible, we uh, would love to put one in your hands. And they're in the back and they have the whole Bible or they have just New Testament, uh, wherever you'd like to start. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. If, if you have scriptures, why don't you open up there with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And if you don't, you can just sort of listen in and let it soak in. Beginning in verse 13, Solomon wrote these words. He said, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. All right, before I go on, let me just say this. The, the scriptures tell us that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. Uh, you know the story, right? God goes to Solomon and says, Solomon, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And, then, uh, and Solomon doesn't ask for wealth and he doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for, for um, fame. He doesn't ask for all the stuff we might ask for. He asked for wisdom. And then God says, all right, then I'm going to give you wisdom because you've asked for this. And on top of all that, I'm going to give you all these other things. So ever since then, we've been asking God for wisdom because we want all the other things. And, but it, it doesn't usually work out so well because we go, well, let's ask God for wisdom. Maybe he'll give us wealth. And let's ask God for wisdom. Maybe he'll give me fame. But Solomon seemed to be genuinely sincere. He didn't know how it was going to work out. So here you have the wisest man who ever lived, and he begins this particular narrative by saying, I saw wisdom under the sun that impressed me, that blew me away. Now, that's why we should pause and look at this passage. Now, let's say if, if Michael Jordan came in here today and said, man, I saw a guy and he could hoop. I mean, this guy had moves. He was unbelievable. We should probably listen, right? But if Octavio came in here and said, man, I saw this guy and he could even take me. You're like, Octavio, small children could take you. And, uh, but, uh, and, and you're going, you know, if Einstein came in here and said, I just met this girl and she was unbelievable at math. I mean, the way she could work with numbers was extraordinary. We probably should meet that little girl. If I came in here and said, oh, wow, I met a math whiz. You're going, Erwin, that's just called addition. And, uh, and it just depends on the person, right? And so when Solomon says he has experienced wisdom that was astonishing to him, we should, well, take a minute and listen. Because he sees something that we should probably pay attention to. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. And here it is. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a great king came against it. Surrounded it and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler or fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So Solomon begins to give us a picture of someone's life, this story of this poor man in a small city with a few people in it. And, and so you don't, you don't get the story of some big personality. I mean, there's some people when they enter a room, you go, wow, they're, they're important. Or, or some people when they begin talking, you go, wow, that person really is intelligent or has something to say. But here's a guy who is an underachiever 
in an environment where he had every advantage to be the top. He, he was in a small city, not a big city, not New York, not Paris, not London, just a, a small city, and a city with just a few people in it. Maybe it was becoming more like Detroit, where you know people were leaving and running like wildfire. It's a small city with just a few people in it, and so it was underpopulated, and he was a poor man. Imagine this. If you were the poor man in a city that had very few people who were actually succeeding... He wasn't just a big fish in a huge ocean or a small fish in a big pond. He was a, a guppy in a puddle. And, and what Solomon is telling us, I saw this guy who had nothing to show for his life. Nothing that would cause you to expect anything extraordinary for him. And that's why I love this story. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I've always felt like that guy. I felt like the poor man in a small town with a few people in it who still couldn't rise to the top. And then he says, and then things got worse. And then there was a great king. And he came and he attacked the city and he built a huge siege work around it, which means he conquered the city and people could not get in and people could not get out. They were trapped. And so things were not bad enough in the everyday, mundane life, this poor man could not rise to the top, but now life got harder. Have you ever felt that you were already overwhelmed by life and then life got tougher? You know, your job was already hard enough and now your marriage is hard. Or your marriage is already struggling and now you, you lose your job. You, you're already having a hard time making ends meet, then the economy begins to fall apart. And, and sometimes it seems as if life just begins to pour it on you. And you wonder, what in the world is going on? Well, this is that kind of moment. It was the kind of moment where everyone else would justify you if all you did was just lay down and died. If you just thought to yourself, there's nothing anyone can do, there's nothing I can do, life as we know it is over. There's a... There was a, a poor man in a small city with just a few people in it. And a great king built a huge siege work around it, surrounded it, conquered it. And then it says that this poor man saved his city with his wisdom. And I got to tell you, I have spent at least the last 20 years trying to imagine how a poor man with no resources, with no power, with no authority, with no influence could set an entire city free against a great king who decides to conquer this small city. And I, I don't have time to go into how I think he took the city. But I want to take a few minutes and talk about the obstacles he faced that all of us have to face if we're going to overcome in our everyday challenges that are there. Because I think all of us have that moment where we're that poor person in a small town with very few people in it. And a great king comes and builds a huge siege work and we feel overwhelmed by life. And we wonder how in the world can we rise above this? And here's the wonderful thing. What we know from this passage is that you don't have to have wealth or power or education. You don't have to have fame or prestige or authority. That there's nothing in this life that can stop you from achieving your greatest potential. If you'll begin to reach into the resource that comes from wisdom. He was a poor man, but he was wise. Is it possible that even today, even here we are and we're free people, we're one of the freest countries that have ever existed in human history. Even when we're poor in this country, we're richer than most of the people who've ever lived across the face of this earth. We, we have more opportunity and we have more possibilities than almost anyone who has ever lived in human history. And yet, you interview people and you take surveys and you find massive depression across our country. You find incredible dissatisfaction. And, and in fact, I would dare say that, that everyone in this room at some point has struggled with a sense of depression, of despair. 
of emptiness, of wondering if your life will ever really matter at all? Is it possible that all the resources and all the advantages in the world will not help you if you don't actually gain the wisdom that God has for your life to live the life that God created you to live? Let me just talk about a couple of uh, obstacles. And we're gonna, what we're going to do is uh, Octavia's going to come up. We're going to do some Q&A. We're going to open it up to you if you'd like to ask some questions. Here's a couple of obstacles that this guy faced that all of us are going to face. The first one is, I think, um, a sense of insignificance. I think the reality is that all of us, whenever we're given a a God-sized challenge, what begins to happen inside of us is we begin to have this incredible sense of our inadequacy. You know, when a person's arrogant, when a person thinks that they're good enough and big enough and strong enough to accomplish everything, I realize their vision is way too small. Because really, if you take on a God-sized vision, you're going to get overwhelmed by the size of that vision. If you actually want to do something meaningful with your life, you're going to have this sense of, I wonder if I can actually live up to this. I mean, have you ever had a dream that just takes your breath away? A dream so big you don't even want to share with anyone else because you're afraid they're going to come back mocking you later saying, you think you're going to do what? And I think all of us should have these little hidden dreams inside of us. You know, there, there are dreams you can tell other people. They're your plan B dreams. But your plan A dream... Your plan A dream is the one that should scare you so much it keeps you awake at night because you so long to live out that dream. That that plan A dream is the dream that you you may whisper to your closest friend, your closest confidant, and and even then you're still a little bit hesitant. Can you imagine being in the mind of this poor man who began to dream at night that he could set this whole city free, who began to plan and structure in his own mind how he was going to set this city free from this great king? Can you imagine if he had called the meeting and said, I'm the one who's going to set you free, how everyone would have mocked him? There was nothing in his life that would have said, he's the guy we should trust and follow. And I think all of us are going to struggle through life with a sense of insignificance. I, I don't know if you can tell, but um, my name and, and me do not match. You know, my, my last name is McManus, which is a good Irish name. And uh, of course, I'm not Irish. And uh, I'm actually from a country called El Salvador, which is south of Mexico and uh, north of South America, really tiny little spot. And, and there are no McManuses in El Salvador. But I just met a guy from El Salvador. I was in Canada last week. I met a guy from El Salvador. His name was Drake Nelson. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm not the only Irish Salvadorian in the world. And, uh, and, and he got it from a strange other combination of things, too. And, and I, I got McManus because, you know, my mom moved to the United States and, and my grandparents were raising me in El Salvador. And, and then she married a guy who was involved in what, what I would call creative underground economies. And, uh, and, and so because of that, he had an alias and he walked us into a police station and convinced the police that we'd been robbed of all of our identification. And we all walked out McManus that day. So it was just all of a sudden one day I came out McManus, and so it's kind of a, a, a name that I've gotten used to. And, I, and 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 when I wanted to go back to my Latin name, my mom said, you know, please don't. And uh, and so I just held with McManus. But Irwin is also not my name. That's that's a German name. I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not German. And what what happened is I was going back and forth between the United States and El Salvador, and you know your name matters. You ever notice? When you're in school, your name matters. If you're called Jessica, everybody wants to date you. And, and you know, and, and, right? And if you're called Brandon, you're supposed to date Jessica. It's just the way that life happens. But, you know, if you're, if you're Michael, everybody respects you. If you're Alex, they fear you. You know, and, but if, if you're Irwin, they taunt you. And they humiliate you. See, Irwin is not the name you want to be moving into different elementary schools every year. And so every year, they'd go around the first day of school, and they'd, have, they'd call out your name, Irwin. 
And I'd be there, and they'd all look around and go, Erwin, you know, and I could feel it, you know, another fight coming on. And, uh, and you know, and it's tough. And, you know, Erwin was a name that, that basically said, you know, you can take him. And, and, and those, the, you know, <laughs> those girls were mean. And, uh, but... Well, and I, I wanted to change my name so many times because we would constantly, we were in the, um, sort of in the witness relocation program, you know, constantly moving every couple of years whenever my stepdad got in more trouble than he could handle. And, and, and so I constantly had to keep reintroducing myself as Irwin. And, I, and each time I thought, I, I should change my name. It's not my name. It doesn't really matter. I, it's just an alias. But, but what happened is I couldn't change my name because the way I got my name is I was in El Salvador and uh, talking to my grandfather. I was maybe 10 years old. And I said, Papi, I need a good American name. And of course, all this was in Spanish. And, and he'd never been to America. He didn't speak English. He had no idea what a good American name was. But he wasn't going to tell me that. Because my grandfather's a very proud man. He would never say, I don't know. So he began to pretend he knew what a good American name was. And he said, oh, nombre pues. And he starts, you know, and going, you know, pues este nombre tiene. And he's, this name has to uh, be the name of an intellect. And well, I was a straight D student. And uh, first through 12th grade, so I'm thinking intellect, wow. And uh, no, not really. And he goes, must be the name of a conqueror. And no, I, re- I really, really wasn't. And I was the conquered. And, uh, and, but he kept describing what this name had to have for it to wear me. And then he finally says, su nombre es Erwin. <laughs> and I never heard that name, ever. Not, and I said, get papi. And he said, Erwin. See, Latins can't even pronounce Erwin. That's the worst thing, is that we, you know, and we can't say W's, we can't end without a G. And, 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 and he said, oh no, okay, papi, no, no, papi. And, and he is, but once he said it, it's done. You know, he was the absolute authority, and he started writing it down. And I'd never seen the name Erwin. It sounded like some kind of plant life or something. And, and so I went back with Erwin. And I always wanted to change my name, except for one thing. You see, I was a straight D student, first to 12th grade, and I was uh, a pretty broken, messed up kid. And I was in a psychiatric chair by the time I was 12 years old. And I was in and out of a hospital because I was such a mess. And, and I had one moment in my life where someone looked at me and said, you want a new name? Well, that name needs to be a name that has greatness and, and intelligence. And he went on and gave me all these attributes that I knew I didn't have. And you know what he did? He named me, he'd been studying World War II German history, so he named me after Erwin Rommel, Hitler's German general over North Africa. So now I grew up with a Nazi's name, and uh, he's not technically a Nazi, it just doesn't matter. And, and yet I could never change it, because there was one moment when someone looked at me and said, you want to disappear into the backdrop of humanity. I just wanted an everyday name. I just wanted to be named like everyone else. I just wanted to disappear and be average but my grandfather said to me in that moment, there's more to your life than you know. And I want you to hear me this morning. If you hear nothing else, if you've never heard it before, there's more to your life than you know. I don't think it's an accident that there are people named Abram who become Abraham and Sarai who become Sarah and Simon who becomes Peter. I don't think it's an accident there's a Saul who becomes a Paul. Because I think what God is trying to tell us throughout the scriptures is that when you encounter him when he encounters you you are no longer who you were the greatness that god always intended to pull out of you that has been a dormant and asleep has now been awakened and i wonder if you've taken time to let god speak into your life to tell you that that sense of insignificance can be overcome when you realize the power of one person with god there was a small city with a few people in it and in that city there was a poor man who saved his city 
by his wisdom. I wonder if you're underestimating how much God could do through your life right here in Whittier, through your life right here in Los Angeles, through your life, touch the ends of the earth. I think sometimes we underestimate how much God really dreams for us. I just want to bring up one other thing, and then I'll close and we'll do some Q&A. There's a second obstacle I think all of us have to face. And, you know, once you get over the sense of insignificance and you realize that, that God created you to do something extraordinary, then you, you're, you have overwhelming circumstances, right? I mean, the, can you imagine that poor guy having this moment with God and God saying, I can do this through you. And he gets up and he goes, yeah. And he walks outside and he sees all these chariots going by. You know, with thousands of warriors and weapons, and he's like, oh, all right, this is why I felt as if I couldn't do this, because the circumstances are just too big. And you hear this all the time. People who are trapped in their failures, you know what they say? If you, if you just knew my life, if you had my life, then you'd understand. Well, the problem is that you're the only one who has your life. No one else gets your life. But, but here's the beautiful thing. Maybe if you have more problems, God has created you to overcome more problems. See, because really, the greater the obstacle, the greater the victory, isn't it? I mean, it just isn't that huge of a deal. Well, you know, today I had to get up and I had to cook eggs, and I just I didn't know. Should, should they be scrambled? Should, should I make an omelet? Should they be sunny side up? I, I just, you know, but I, I overcame that. I, did, I, I pulled it off, and yeah, wow, that was, that was, that was amazing, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, some people act as if brushing their teeth was a worldwide challenge, you know? And, and the truth of the matter is that you don't really get to pull out the greatness in your life until you face great challenges. You, you don't really know what's inside of you until you face something that terrifies you. Remember this last year when I was in uh, Switzerland, I called, my wife came up and I told her, I said, honey, we, we've made some pretty huge decisions. We've taken some huge risks. And if they don't work out, we're going to be bankrupt uh, by the end of the year. And Kim got a little shaky on the other side of the phone. Of course, I told her this while I was in Europe. And, uh, and, and, and she goes, well, why did you do it then? And I remember pausing. I said, because we had to. We just had to. Because see, some things in life are worth trying even if you fail. And that's when you're giving yourself to something important, when you realize, even if I fail, this is the life I choose to live. And can you imagine what this guy was like when he faced these overwhelming obstacles, this great king who built a huge siege work around the city, and all he had was wisdom. I've met a lot of amazing people in my life, and um, people have inspired me and have always reminded me that there's more in us than we may ever imagine. But, but none inspired me as much as um, this little girl. And when she was eight years old, she was abandoned by her parents. And she had nine brothers and sisters. And her parents left her eating nothing but turnips and ketchup for maybe even a couple of weeks. The government finally found the kids and social services took them away. And she spent from eight to 18 in a foster home. When she walked into that foster home, they had paper on the floor so she wouldn't dirty the, the carpet and plastic on the furniture so she wouldn't dirty the furniture. She wouldn't eat hardly at all for the first few days. She was so sure they were going to poison her and kill her because all she'd ever known was violence and heartache. Her parents were both killed through alcoholism. Her mother was decapitated when her father went over a medium and hit an 18-wheeler, and later her father died of cirrhosis of the liver. And her whole life had been one tragedy after another tragedy after another tragedy. Her brothers and sisters most end up alcoholics, drug addicts, on the streets, homeless, street people. And yet somehow this little girl from the age of eight began walking herself across the street to a church on the other side of the field and began 
realizing that she needed to excel educationally, even though no one from her family had ever graduated from high school. And so she went ahead and finished high school and went on to get a scholarship to college, wanted to get her master's degree, and that's when I met her. See, every time I remember the story of my wife, Kim, I am reminded that the solution to a sense of insignificance is realizing the significance of every individual in the sight of God. And the solution to overcoming overwhelming circumstances is to have an overriding commitment to something bigger and greater than yourself. See, when she was 14 years old, she, just, she didn't really know who God was, but she just cried out to God and said, God, I'm yours, and anywhere you want me to go and anything you want me to do, I'm willing to take that risk. And when I met her, she was on her way to Africa to work there as a humanitarian and to serve people there in crisis. And I realized what happened was that no matter how bad her life was and how bad her world was, she refused to allow herself to focus on the pain of her life. And she gave her life to try to relieve the pain in the lives of others. And maybe the key to pulling out the heroic within us it is not to be more self-indulgent or to be more self-centered, but actually to become more selfless and to become the servants of the world so that we would use all of our talent and gifts and intellect and passions for the good of the world rather than just for our own good. Octavia, would you come and just join me for a few minutes as we talk? Now, Octavia, you're beginning this series on practical wisdom. And, you know, I think sometimes we really don't realize that the scriptures have so much wisdom for us, you know, so much insight for life. And what, what was striking you as we're having this conversation this morning? Well, you know, I think what I was thinking is that uh, asking this question for folks who are in the audience, this is what I'm feeling, that um, break it down for us a little bit further about wisdom. We're not, you're not talking about the accumulation of facts. You're talking about the interpretation of events. Are you talking about seeing something a little differently? Can you unwrap that wisdom for us a little bit more? Yeah, you know, I was just up in um, Canada this week and at this small city that was built uh, only for the Olympics. All these uh, billionaires got together and built a city hoping to get the Olympics one day. Now they're getting it in 2010. And this man came up to me and he said, you know, long before you ever had an idea of creating a new kind of spiritual community, he said, I already had that idea. And I said, well, that's great. Did, did, did you ever do anything about it? And he said, no. And I said, well, there's a difference between you and me. And uh, is that, uh, you know, people have a lot of great ideas, but the only ones that count are the ones you try to flesh out. And I think that sometimes we confuse in, intellect with wisdom. You know, and we think the accumulation of information and knowledge is wisdom. I, I've met a lot of really smart but stupid people. Have you? <laughs> you know, and uh, and and what I what I love about wisdom is that it doesn't take great education to be wise, it doesn't take great wealth to be wise, it doesn't take great success to be wise. But what you find is that people who have wisdom actually have incredible, uh, incredible capacity to have healthy relationships in their life. Mm. Right? Think about the wisest person you've ever known right now, just whoever it might be. And don't pick Octavio. Okay? And so, no, no danger there. Oh, okay. All right, let's just take a quick survey. All right, the wisest person you've ever known. How many of you, the wisest person you've ever known is a PhD? Raise your hand. Look around. PhD? The wisest person? Okay, so what we've discovered here in this brief informal survey is that it's impossible to be highly educated and wise. All right. Okay, let's hope not. Okay, all right. All right. How many of you that the wisest person you've ever known is a, uh, a multimillionaire? Raise your hand. Okay, clearly you're going to have ongoing economic problems like Davio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
All right, so we know is that, that great wealth is attainable without great wisdom. How many of you, the, the, the wisest person you've ever known, has, um, is the kind of person you'd go to for insight to how to get your relationships better? They have an amazing ability to have healthy relationships in their life. Raise your hand. Raise, raise your hand real high. All right, look, look around. You see what, what I, what you, you're all thinking about the same person. And, uh, and I think that's the thing, is that wisdom is, in the end, at the core, is about relationships and about how to use influence rather than authority and power. Okay, so let me ask this question then. So someone who's looking to be wise because they're seeing the benefits in their relationships, they're seeing the benefits in their life, what is the first step, what are the first two steps they would take moving towards gaining wisdom and, 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 and making that part of their, their life? Right. Well, I think there's this um, misnomer in culture that says that um, you can't have wisdom unless you've experienced everything. So some people go, well, I, I just got to learn for myself. Okay, that's actually called stupidity. Because <laughs> yeah. if you can't learn from the wisdom and pain and experience of others, you're going to really die a really dumb person. I'm sorry. Look, I may not know a lot about wisdom, but here's what I know. You're not supposed to die as dumb as you're born. Right? And uh, you're supposed to learn things from life. There are people who have the same experiences over and over and over again and never learn from them. Have you ever been around that person? You know, the, the, the girl who keeps dating the same guy, it just, he just keeps changing names. You know? She says, I don't know why I keep dating all these jerks. And you go, that's what we're wondering too. And, uh, <laughs> it's because you keep choosing them, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so really wisdom is the ability to see the future from the present. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to understand the implications of your choices. Have you ever found yourself in a moment in your life where you go, I don't know how I got into this? Mm-hmm. Well, wisdom is knowing how you got into it. See, wisdom is knowing if I choose this, this is where the momentum of my life is going. Mm-hmm. If I choose this, this is where the momentum of my life is going. And so if you choose to have that affair, don't be shocked later when you lose your family. If you, you, know, if you, if you want to protect that which matters most, your, your, your marriage, your, 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 uh, the respect of your children, then you make the right choices in the moment. And so what ends up happening is that we, we make decisions in a moment that become blind or ignore the implication of those decisions for the future. A wise person makes every choice with, a, with the future momentum of that choice in their clear sight. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then you're talking about that wisdom begins when we begin to live in these almost two different time zones. We're living now and seeing the future as well. Yeah. And a good way to begin. Let's say, okay, let's just say that your wisdom level on a 1 to 10 is a 1. You're like, oh no, you know, I'm afraid to walk out of this building. <laughs> I'm just going to do more damage to me. <laughs> And so here's where you begin. One is that the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right. Now, I always thought that was a strange phrase because I don't think fear is a positive emotion. Right. And uh, but fear is a good thing because it lets you know where where um, where the problem is coming from. Like pain. Pain is a good thing. People always want me to take medication because I'm always in some kind of pain because I, I like playing sports and I'm pretty uh, aggressive. And, uh, and they go, here, we'll give you some pain pills. I go, I don't want pain medicine. I want to know where the pain's coming from so yeah. I can fix it. Yeah. And, uh, and they go, oh, yeah, most doctors, after you tell them, they go, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, they just want to alleviate your pain so that you aren't a problem to them. But you actually get worse. Mm. See, what, what, fear actually helps you know where to redirect your life. Mm. And so when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what that means is that what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. So if you're afraid of heights, you stay low. 
right? If you're afraid of spiders, you stay spiderless. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you're afraid of enclosed places, you stay in open spaces. Whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. But if you only fear God, then only God establishes the boundaries of your freedom. And, and then it says that perfect love casts out all fear. So when you're in a relationship with God and all your fear is directed toward him, he casts out all that fear with love and now for the first time, you're truly free. So it begins by making sure that you don't fear the wrong things. Don't fear failure. Don't fear death. Don't fear the rejection of others. You, you know, and uh, only fear with God uh, that you might not please God with your life. And they say, the second thing is surround yourself with people who are actually wise. I mean, the best thing to help you as you grow in wisdom is to be around wise people and, and listen to their counsel. If you don't listen, people will eventually stop giving you input, right? In fact, I, I can't tell you who it was, but I have someone I really, really love, and she, she's kept going in bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. You know, four kids through um, three different men, was married for about eight minutes, you, you know, and then in one of those relationships, she's, it fell apart again, and, I, and she goes, did you know it was the wrong relationship? And I said, of course I knew. She says, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, because I always tell you, and then you always hate me. So I just thought, this time I won't say anything. She goes, yeah, but this time you didn't warn me. And so it's a lose-lose. Yeah. All right, you know? And so some people you go, I, it's like spitting into the wind. Yep. All right? Maybe not the most attractive metaphor. <laughs> but but it, it, you, know, it, it, you need to be, make sure you're a person that people want to give counsel to because you're willing to listen. Right? And then just start with small choices. Every day make a small choice, like to, to eat healthier. You know, just go, okay, today I'm going to choose to be a healthier person. To, you know, it, it just look at yourself and going, where am I making my most unwise choices? And start making incremental good choices. Well, let's open it up for some Q&A out here on the floor. There's a microphone that will be floating around. So um, if we don't get to you, we have a few minutes to speak loudly. But who's got the mic back here? Oh, all right, there's Corey. Give a hand up, Corey, for standing up with the microphone. Well done. Anybody like to get us going? Ask a question example you just get with your friend she's still part of your life oh yeah absolutely she is and now i just go always go back and tell her bad choice bad choice bad choice because you see it's not the people it's it's her life that magnetically draws the wrong people to her if you keep making bad choices in your life you tend to draw people who will bring more destructive patterns into your life if you make good choices in your life you start drawing people who make uh, positive contributions to your life. Yes, and we're still very, very close. Yeah. You know, I've noticed one thing that over and over again, when folks have uh, bad relationships or things seem to break down, it's, it's not just in one area. It's going to be probably in their work life. It's going to be in their personal life. It's going to be in their relationships or casual ones. And what's, what's funny to me is that, just like you were saying a moment ago, is that that person doesn't see it. it they think it's those people when the consistent component in every story is them. And uh, so when I hear folks have challenges at work, challenges at home, it's, it's not a surprise. It's trying to help them see, well, you know, in all these stories, you're the consistent theme. <laughs> Is it possible that maybe it's you, you know? No, you know, all right, we have a lot of work here to do, you know. Yeah. It's going to be a long session. Yeah, some people think that life is full of problems. They don't realize they're carriers. That's right. And uh, they're taking the problems with them and creating them. And I think the same with parenting, too. The challenge with parenting is... You have to actually up your relational skills to the highest level. And, but parenting is nothing more than relationship skills. And if you don't have healthy relationship skills, you're going to have a very, very difficult time parenting effectively. 
Which, by the way, is why a community like this is so important. I mean, you can go to seminars and learn lots of stuff. You can go on the Internet and study the Bible and the Greek and the Hebrew. You know, you, you can uh, watch people teach and preach on television that are uh, much more talented than us. And the problem is that you're not going to have the community that makes you a healthy human being. Because there are things we learn together and uh, interacting with one another that are really critical for life. It, it speaks into what you were just saying about uh, relationship and parenting. But what if that person that you continually try to speak into their life is your family member, somebody that you're responsible for, and they're just not getting it yet, you bear the results of their bad choices. It's like, when do you know, especially as a parent, where's that balance? Well, without getting too personal, that, that story is a family member. And, and, uh, so I, and I, I think that there's a certain point where you go, you know exactly what I think, you know exactly how I feel, you know what my convictions are. And so I don't want to be that um, ever-present nag that every time you see me, you go, oh, no. You know, here he's coming. He's going to talk to me about God. You know, because a lot of times that's what, you know, that's why people run from Christians, right? Because the only conversation you can have is about, you know, repent and perish. You know, and I think you ought to be able to talk about the Raiders and what a lousy team they are. And, and, you know, <laughs> and why the Dodgers can't win. And, you know, and, and so I, I think, especially when it's family, I think you need to share what's on your heart, but then you need to realize this can't be the only conversation I have. I've got to learn how to talk about how to about enjoying a great steak, about watching a great movie, so that they're not just overwhelmed with anxiety that you're nothing but there to condemn them. Okay, so don't feel like you have to have that conversation every single time. If you've had it uh, and you've been really clear and honest and they get it, then I think you just let them reinitiate that conversation. You know, I can only add to that because that, that, that happened with one of my, uh, in my immediate family, with a son that was, had some very unhealthy habits uh, relationally and physically in a number of other areas. And um, having volunteered with the sheriffs before, I began to notice behavior that was consistent with other unhealthy things. And so I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I said, look, you know, i got to be honest with you, I love you, but I, I can't tell you that I'm disappointed in, in you and what you're doing. But, you know, you're my son. I still love you. And... That was hard because at some level you're giving them the, the dignity of making their own choices and experiencing their own consequences. And I think that's just part of what loving people is. It, it's a, that huge risk that you're going to be hurt. And you have to kind of carry that for a while. But I also know that that probably left the door open for conversations later on when he wanted to make some changes. And, uh, and we had other conversations. You know, He began to do other activities and stuff. And you, know, you just have to engage him as a human being and have other conversations besides, you're still doing that and going that route. Any other question? You guys are so polite. You raise your hands real politely. Yeah. It's like being in class. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My question was about the fear thing. Um, from what I understand about fear is that all the fear that we have on a daily basis limits our boundaries. So when we is that to say that if you have if you only fear the Lord, is that your your boundaries are limitless? Is that, is that what that... No, it means, you're, um, it means that you won't be limited in your God-given capacity. Everybody has limitations. I can't fly. I'm still waiting for that one. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't transport. So, obviously, we all have limitations, right? And uh, so, even if you're entirely focused on God, you still have limitations because you're not God, right? And, uh, and so, we're, we're not all-knowing. We're not all-present. We're not all-powerful. But what, what you will be is free to live the life you're created to live. 
You know, and, and so, you know, I, I know we've been doing this research on how to become an expert. And, we, and, and uh, one, one particular school says that anyone can be an expert at anything if they discipline themselves for 10 years. And I think that, that's a great prospect. I don't know if I totally agree. Because I don't know if I could have ever been like a prima ballerina. I mean, even if I had started at the right moment, I just don't know, you know. And so there's a little voice in my head that says, it's not going to happen, not going to happen, you know. And, uh, and, and, but I do think that when um, you are now free from all these other fears, you are now free to be the person that God created you to be most fully. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that, that's when it's really exciting. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm reminded with that. My mom put me in ballet classes as a child, and I was just... We, we can tell. Yeah, yeah. The, the you're, graceful you're, moves. You're elegant. First position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many beat up so often. You were telling the story about Irwin. I got the ballerina with the tutu in the school bus, and it was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah, the, the tutu has long-term effects. That's right. Scarred for life. I still can't look at pink without shuddering. All right. Uh, any other questions out here before we uh, wrap it up? And one or two big ones. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, a question that... I think I've, through my short life and my experience, I've been told the answer, I believe, by the Lord many times, but it's still really difficult. When we look at wisdom, and when you look at what God calls us to, um, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but oftentimes He calls us to things that, that don't seem wise or that seem impractical, impractical. He called Abraham to kill Isaac. You know, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense. Um, how do we... You know, you know he didn't actually kill him, right? R- oh, okay, I yeah. want to make sure. <laughs> that's it. But, but that was... Yeah. You, you might be new going, what? Wait, wait, okay. There, but we know... There, there are no, right. no God or um, uh, sanctioned human sacrifices in the Bible. Okay, go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. But we, and, and because of that, we know in retrospect that it was, you know, God calling him to something. And because of that, that overrides stuff. But how, when in the midst of God calling you to something... Do you persevere even though it might not make sense to anyone else or even yourself, but you know God's calling you to it? How, how do we persevere and endure in that wisdom that we know God is calling us to? Well, you, you have an experience that's, that's probably um, better than mine. Because when you say you know God's calling to something, I don't, do you, do you, I don't always... See, I'm not that person. I'm not the person who goes, I know that God's calling me to do this. I'm more like, I think, I think God's calling me to do it. I think this is a really important thing to do. And, and so I, I try to reserve that statement, I know, until after I'm looking back. All right, then I go, yeah, yeah, I knew. Because, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, look, we, uh, Paul says that he sees through a glass dimly. That was the Apostle Paul. And if Paul says, I see things through a glass dimly, which means I'm not really sure. We should always keep that level of humility that says, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. What I know, what you need to know is if what you're trying to do is worth your life. What you need to know is if what you're trying to do is something that would make the world a better place. What you need to know is if what you're trying to do would bring pleasure to God. And does it, does it affirm and reinforce his character? Because you think about it as a parent. I don't want my children doing exactly what I want them to do. I want my children to do what they were created to do which is a different thing. I think a lot of parents try to impose their dreams on their kids. And, and I think because of it, that's what we think of God. God just really wants you to be a puppet where he's just pulling you by the strings. And that's not the way it is at all. God created you to be free. 
And the, the language of freedom is the language of the scriptures. Jesus says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know truth, and the truth will set you free. So he wants you to take more personal responsibility for your life. When people go, well, you know, I, in fact, I, the guy, we have a lot of singles at Mosaic. And I hate when guys do this. They go, you know, they're dating a girl, and they go, you know, uh, I just feel like, you know, the, the, Lord, the, the Lord wants us to, to stop dating, you know. And, and like, man, you need to. Well, I would say differently in an all-men group. But, but uh, it, 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 you know, you need to own up to being a man. You know, don't ever break up to, with a girl going, the Lord wants us to, you know, have some space. The Lord wants me to go date that blonde. You know, and uh, before, you know, he wants me to, i got to break up with you. I think a lot of us blame the Lord for a lot of stuff. So here's the thing. Is it Matt? You just got to ask yourself some real important questions. You got to go, is this important enough for me? that I would be willing to fail to at least give it an effort to try. See, we live in a capitalistic culture that says success is the proof of God. But success isn't the proof of God. Your, your character is the compass of your life. It, it may be that God allows you to fail. It's the process in doing something that actually brings God pleasure and uh, that God really revels in. And I, I think we're so... Uh, look. Nine out of ten things in my life, I have no idea whether I'm going to succeed or not. And I just know it's worth the risk. You know, when we started Mosaic, we didn't know that we'd be where we're at today. And, uh, I mean, we couldn't have conceptualized people creating communities like Mosaic across the world. And we couldn't maybe dreamed it. And, uh, but we didn't know these things would happen. You know, every time I write a book, I take a deep breath and go, I wonder if anyone will even... Find the book valuable. Everything, and you're laying your life on the line. You're, you're opening yourself to public scrutiny and humiliation. And believe me, I, I go and I read all the criticisms about everything I do, and I go, oh man, you know. And, and you have to, then you have to step back and ask yourself the question if the whole world hated what you were doing, could you get up in the morning going, I know what I'm doing is important? And because, you know, Jesus didn't really have a lot of people cheering him on. And, and so I, I think what you have to do is ask yourself, if I fail at this, will my life still bring pleasure to God? If I fail at this, will I still be able to come to my last breath and go, it was entirely worth everything I had to do this? And I think that's when you begin to really live a life you enjoy. I, I worry about people who hate their life but want desperately the success. Because there are a lot of actors like that. You know, in the industry, oh, you know, I just, I just, I just hate it, and I just hate all the auditions, and I hate the way I'm being demeaned and berated, and, and I'm trying, I'm trying, and if only I could just become, you know, this person, get to this level of success. If you don't enjoy the process, you're probably never going to be successful. And, and so find something that when you get up in the morning, it makes you feel fully alive. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Let me translate that into English. It means love God and do what you want. So love God with all your heart and then pursue your passions with all you got. Does that help? And I think that's the way to go. So just admit it. I don't know. I think that I know. I think this is what I think God wants me to do. But you know, God is amazing. If you're sincere and your motivation is pure and you're going in the wrong direction, he'll get you to the right place. You know, sometimes I think we're like, um, what's your name? Sorry. Bob. Bob. Hi, I'm Erwin Bob. No, so, so Bob, like, God is wanting Bob to become the next Tom Cruise. 
Right? I mean, look at him, okay? It's obvious, right? You know? And, and, and Bob keeps saying, I mean, guys, guys keep saying, Bob, Bob, I want you to go to Hollywood. You're just so close. And are you going to be the next Tom Cruise, Bob? Like, he doesn't listen. Because he, he goes on a trip to India. And he sees all these children who are dying of hunger and, and they're orphans and they're homeless. And so Bob doesn't listen. Well, he tries to listen, but he's just so overwhelmed with compassion that he moves to Calcutta to care for children. And he gives his whole life to caring for these orphans. And no one even knows he's there. And the whole time, God's like, Bob, you were going to be Mission Impossible 4, dude. What is the problem? And see, I, do you think that Bob's going to die and then God's going to grab Bob and go, What were you thinking, man? I wanted you to be a, a star, and instead you were here working with the poor. You just wasted your life. I don't think so. And uh, I think if God really wants Bob to be the next Tom Cruise, and somehow Bob gets it wrong and goes to Calcutta to serve the poor, that God's going to send a documentary film team to Calcutta to do a story on children. They're going to pan across, get Bob on screen, and go, Whoa, look at that. Such charisma. And... Uh, and uh, and, and he'll get discovered there. Remember, God is more interested in you doing what you're created to do than you are interested in doing what you're created to do. And so if you move with sincerity, and if you move with right motivation, um, even if you do the wrong thing for the right reasons, God will get you doing the right thing for the right reason. And that, that's what's so wonderful about journeying in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.